Once upon a time, Virginia was considered the birthplace of important constitutional principles like religious freedom and free speech. Great Virginians like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison celebrated these values. So what happened? How have we walked so far away from that original vision and is there a roadmap back? Plus, we're going to share a heartwarming story today about adoption from one of our staff members. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our Director of Government Relations, Todd Gacky. All right, well, since it's Thanksgiving season, let's talk about what our favorite and maybe not so favorite foods are. Dr. Todd Gacky, we have with us today our government, our Director of Government Relations. Yeah. Share with us maybe the thing you look forward to that you're kind of daydreaming about the whole week before. I can't wait to have this thing. And then also share with us that thing you try to skip over and hope no one notices that you didn't put on your plate. Yeah, I'm pretty simple when it comes to Thanksgiving meals. The turkey, mashed potatoes, corn. Um, I'm not a big gravy person. We have family members that will drench their food with gravy, not me. I also try to skip the green bean casserole. That's oh, not my thing. That's my favorite with the little crunchies on top. Oh, uh, no, that's texture issue for me. I'm not <laughs> big on the crunchies on top, no. Um, so I'm big on the turkey, mashed potatoes, and some kind of corn or butter beans. Okay, what are texture issues? Well, I don't like to mix like a vegetable that's kind of soft with something crunchy on top, like, you know, like onions or whatever it is, the, the hard onions that they sprinkle on top. <laughs> I don't know, even really know what to call it because I don't really eat it. Um, I just skip over it and I just hope nobody notices. All right. Well, diving right in here, I'm excited to start with what I think is a great story for the holiday season, and it's an adoption story. And I think it really is just going to warm the heart of our listeners. And this comes to us from you, Todd, from your personal life experience. And I think this is also a great way for our listeners to get to know you. You know, who is this person who directs our policy efforts at the Family Foundation every day that testifies down at the state capitol and is working every day to develop relationships with our elected representatives, especially the new ones that just came in? That's your job here. But before you get into more of that, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis here at the Family Foundation, we're going to hear about how God led your family toward adoption. Now, you were telling me this really kind of started with, you know, going way back in your childhood to your childhood experiences. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. So I, I was raised by an amazing mom. I was an only child. Uh, my, my father passed away at a really young age. So my mom raised me, and I know that was not an easy job knowing who I am. Um, I'm sure I gave her a lot of gray hairs, um, but she did, it, she did a great job. And one of the things that she did was try to surround me with some godly men, some fathers. And so she did that. She put me at church, and, you know, I have friends that had some great fathers who had really set really good examples. And I think she really wanted me to become part of a larger family as I got older. And let me so, let me back up real quick though. Yeah. So you lost your father when you were very young. Tell just yeah. Sh share that part of your story just sure. for a minute. Sure. Yeah. So my father passed away on a job accident on the construction site. I was at the age of two, and so I didn't. So it was just I was the only child. Yeah. And uh, and so he passed away on the job site. Um, 
and uh, my family kind of came around and embraced my mom and and you know it was a, it was a family effort in helping her raise me and I had some great uncles and aunts who really pitched in to help um, but I think it you know there in an early early on my mom faced some real you know challenges as a single mom yeah and she that's what why she recognized hey I need to make sure that my son has some godly men in his life to give to show him examples, and whether that's uncles and friends at church, um, she really went out of her way to make sure that I was able to get those good examples. Well, when you shared this with me, it did bring to mind Romans eight twenty eight that talks about this biblical promise we have of how all things work together for good for those who love God, and that you know that's not to downplay the tragedies and the suffering that we experience in this life, but yet we have this promise that God is working that out in a redemptive way in our lives. And I think you're a great example of that because you were sharing how there were the seeds of, you know, you being able to become a father for another child that had lost a key parent, right? Yeah. Um, How do you feel about how God used your upbringing to prepare you what was yeah that's um that's a good point um we i think that god was really setting at an early age and instilling those seeds like you mentioned in my life um to really kind of prepare me for this idea of becoming a father to the fatherless is what the scriptures teach us you know we have a heavenly father that is that is um uh, there for us but here on earth we can we can be that um that person to stand in the gap for some of these young kids who are coming out of challenging backgrounds, challenging lot, uh, you know, situations at home, and we can stand in the gap for them and 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 be there for them with compassion and love, and um, and that's what I what we wanted to do. Um, yeah, and then when you met Amy, you yeah. shared with her, right? I've been an only child. Now I want a big family. Yeah, right? That yeah. was part of it, like this yeah. desire. And she's it. a family person as well. Yeah. Um, our, you know, that started the journey. Uh, my, you know, so my seeds were being sown and. And Amy came from a big family, and she enjoyed um, the idea of having a big family. And but this, you know, for her, it was a little bit of a different trek. You know, she was those seeds were being planted, and I think it came down to one day she was listening to Star Parker speak on the radio, and she said, "Listen, we have a real need in the foster care system, and if you have an, an extra bedroom, if you have an extra seat at the dinner table." open that up to someone outside of your family to come in and that you can love and embrace. Um, and that's just the, being the heart of a Christian. And I think that that really spoke to her. And then that started a whole nother conversation. And then we jumped in and, and then we started the process of becoming foster parents. But I think what really spoke to us is, you know, scripturally, there's nothing about having orphans. In other words, it, the Bible doesn't speak to uh orphanage is and it commands families to embrace orphans and the widows and to take care of them mm-hmm. and so we really felt compelled that as as christians as part of the church body that it was our our responsibility to step in and and care for them all right now fast forward tell us about the first time you guys met chris who you would eventually adopt yeah um so after we became certified foster parents we had a number of kids kind of come into our home on respite care and that's when you come in for the weekend to Mm -hmm. maybe it's a you know depending on the situation it could be the foster parents are going out of town and you're just providing them some help and um, so Chris uh, came to us and stayed for with us for the weekend now this was an older boy he was 12 years old at the time he just turned 12 
and uh, he came and he just, he really gelled with the kids, our, our three biological kids. Um, my oldest, our son, is really, really good friends with him. They're almost the same age. I mean, nine months apart. Uh, Maturity-wise, they're basically the same. And, uh, and so they just, they just really got along really well. So tell us about the moment when you guys all knew that Chris should be part of your permanent family. Yeah, so he came for us, uh, stayed with us for the weekend, and really we all took him back. He came on a Friday, and then we took him back Sunday evening to meet up with uh, his um, foster care parents at the time. And he got out, and he got into the vehicle and drove off, and we all just kind of looked at each other and said, he's supposed to be with us. Um, I, I don't, you just, it's just something you know. It's just something you feel in your heart. And we got a call a few weeks later saying he's, you know, they wanted to try and transition him into our home, that it, we, they felt like he was a better fit in there. We gladly said yes as when the school year ended and he came and stayed with us. And I think this was in 2016, somewhere around in there. Um, he came and stayed with us. And then we began the whole process of him becoming part of our family. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. I would love to hear about just how God has worked in your family through Chris and some of these really special moments that you've been able to share with him. Can you give us a couple of highlights that your family has had with Chris? Yeah, uh, two really come to mind. Uh, The first one is we went on a youth retreat with church. I accompanied my uh, my two oldest boys, um, and we went on this youth retreat, and it was a great moment. And at the end, uh, this is in October, um, and so they had an opportunity to give their lives to Christ, um, to make a commitment to follow Him and be baptized in the river. We, we were staying at a, at a camp along a river. And Chris went forward, and I got to go out there in freezing cold water along with him, and uh, and baptize him, and oh. and he got to start a whole new um, life and journey and walk in his faith, and so that was really amazing to be part of that. Wow, what a perfect picture of God's grace in our lives! Because not only did you and Amy and the kids adopt Chris, but he's he is now adopted into our heavenly kingdom. So he, he has experienced that grace now on two different levels. Yeah, right? it's, it's a great illustration, isn't it, right? When we accept Christ and we, we make that commitment to follow him, we are adopted into his heavenly kingdom. And uh, this was a great illustration, a visualization of that, you know, uh, Chris becoming part of our family eventually and being adopted. And, and just like our heavenly father doesn't see us as adopted sons, he's, we're, we're his children. Yeah. He Chris, is your child Chris now. is our child. Yeah. He's our son. That's awesome. I, we don't differentiate him from, from the other three. All right. Tell us about this special 13th birthday because I love that story. Yeah. So he turned 13. Bearing in mind, Chris came, came to us when he was 12. And so we had missed 12 years of his life. And when we had, our, our, had his 13th birthday party, we said we need to recognize not just the 13th year, but all of the years in total. And so we create, we decided to bake 13 cakes 
13 to represent each each year of his life. And it was quite fun. Um, Amy would bake them and then hide them at some people's houses. And he she would do it during the day. So the smell would get out and he wouldn't smell the cake, you know, the smell of, of cake. And um, so it was a real ordeal. Um, and, and it was fun. And so the day came, the birthday party came. And what we did is we had men kind of bring all of these cakes out as kind of men who were saying that they would come alongside him and, and help uh, in this walk, this new journey that he had. But it was just a, just for him to know that we value those 12 years prior to him coming to us. And we wanted to you know, celebrate with him, not just on his 13th birthday, but for all of those birthdays that we didn't get to be yeah. part of. And I just love how instead of allowing our spiritual enemy to pass down ways that maybe Satan would try to rob us, you, your family has done the opposite. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, your, your father was taken from you at an early age, but you allow God to use that in your life to give fatherhood. And then this 13th birthday I love is, is further passing down, bringing more men into Chris's life. And so it's like the opposite of a generational curse, like yeah. passing down the blessing multiple times of yeah. godly fatherhood. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a, that's a great way of explaining it. Um, and there's something real significant about having um, the support of a father figure in your life, especially as a young man. And, and that, uh, you know, my mom did uh, an amazing job of trying to put the right men in my life. She had, you know, great, um, a, a great view of who those men were and, and the value that they could bring to my life. And so we wanted to do the same thing, that they're, they're not, not, it's not just me, but there are other men that, that we can surround him with to be good examples for him as he matures and becomes a man himself. Well, was, was each cake decorated like to recognize the first birthday, the second birthday, or how'd that work? Yeah. So, well, each cake was decorated differently, but they also had the different number than the year on those cakes, so one through 13. So they would have been decorated differently and they would have had a different a number on it. I think there were some that had some different flavors. You know, this, um, yeah. you know, we, we couldn't get too out of control because that would have been a lot of work on Amy to have to put all that right. together. Well, Todd, I did want to get into the policy bit of things a little bit because you are our policy director and we're about to head into an exciting time here with a new legislative session starting on January 12th and you've got your work cut out for you. So I want to just give you a chance to talk a little bit about that. Now, we've had this huge sweep here in Virginia where we now have conservatives in the top three statewide offices and also in control of the House, right? I mean, I, um, I guess there's some runoffs that were going on, but for the most part, we're, we yeah. have control of the House. Um, so the thing is, even though that's the case, it is easy for people when they first get in office to start feeling all the political pressure, get all the voices coming in at them, and sometimes get distracted from the principles that got them elected in the first place. So you come up with something that you hope will help us keep our eye on the ball here in Virginia and also provide a good uh, roadmap forward. So tell us about that real quick. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Uh, we, we just launched it. It's called uh, A Vision for Virginia. The idea is to encourage Virginians to reclaim those founding principles that you're talking about, that this state was built on. You know, when we look back at 2019, uh, there were some elections and the whole composition of the General Assembly changed. And we've seen for the past three years now as a result of that, 
a number of those key issues and values that we have have held dear um, really just be wiped away. You know, we've seen abortion expanded. You know, we're redefining the family unit. You know, we passed laws that punish churches and growing government. So we felt like we really needed to get people back to looking at what are the core values that we need to base policy and base our society on. And so we came up with 10 positive principles that we feel Virginia and this government should essentially you know, reclaim. And the ironic part of this is that Virginia was really the core of this you know, birthplace of ideas for what constitutional government looks like. You know, like we talked about in our opening, we've got these founding fathers here, George Washington, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson. And it's amazing how far we have walked away in recent years from just this basic idea of what a a free uh, people would look like, free speech, constitutional government. So this also gives a roadmap back to that original vision um, just highlight a couple of the 10 points. So, so there's 10 points on this vision for Reg- Virginia, as you've called it. Yes. Um, give us a couple of the main points that kind of provide a framework for how policy should be made now. Yeah. So I mean, you got to understand these 10 principles are very, um, they address different areas of, uh, of our society. Now, some of them can deal with individual freedom and the respect for human life, beginning in the mother's womb. Parents, I mean, we know that that's a major issue. Parents have the fundamental right to make the best decisions for them and their family regarding health and education. Uh, Another one is that free people must be able to live their lives according to their deeply held religious beliefs. Um, And I'll add a fourth, I'll add a fourth one, which is, you know, let's get back to what the real role of government is, limiting the size and scope and making sure it operates within its constitutional um, guidelines. Okay, so just to take one of those principles, like that last one you mentioned, limited government, how could that translate into actual policy being made? Yeah, so our hope is that that uh, legislators would follow um, in accordance with this principle and and enact legislation that does not um, uh, result in laws that intrude on individuals' lives, Um, that uh, maybe spending and taxation, um, that they're good stewards with with the funding, and that they don't use those funds to grow government beyond what is constitutionally appropriate. Or fund Planned Parenthood. Or fund Planned Parenthood. Million dollars or whatever it was. (laughs) Right. Or allow government to go into a person's home and inspect who they hire as a babysitter or a nanny to take care of their children. These are not the proper roles of government. And so we need to get back and reclaim what the proper role of government should be in Virginia. And it's not to co-parent, taking that's, back our parenting rights. That's right. Yeah. Let parents be able to make those decisions for their, for their family and what's right for their family. Okay, so it starts with a high-level vision, 10 points, and then it translates into actual practical policy. So what can people do if they want to get behind your vision for Virginia? How, what can they do to support what you're doing? Well, first, they need to read the document. So we encourage you to go through and read each 10 of the principles. Uh, we put a lot of time into the wording, so go to the familyfoundation.org website. Look for the Vision for Virginia banner that will be on the main page. You can click on it, and that's where you can download a PDF of the, of the vision and the 10 core principles. Second, if you, if you agree with these 10 principles, we're asking you to sign on. 
give your signature, add your name to the list of people who would support, who are going to support this vision. And then finally, I would say, tell your friends and your neighbors about this, because the more people that we can get to support this, the more there's going to be an acceptance and an embrace of these 10 principles. And we can reclaim Virginia and, uh, and restore those core values that, that have been lost these past three years. Great. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! All right, for this week's Inconceivable Award, which concerns emojis, I think, Todd, that you and I might be at a bit of a generational disadvantage, so to speak. So we are going to ask our producer, Catherine, to join us behind the mic here to help us out with this one. Okay, so some of you might have seen the headline that actually Catherine pointed out to me concerning the fact that a well-known actor, Jennifer Love Hewitt, who some of us know from way back in the day from Party of Five, but younger people might know her from a new show called 911. Yeah, 911. But anyway, she issued a mass apology on Instagram recently for, now wait for it, using the praying hands emoji. Or maybe it's not actually the praying hands emoji because there's stuff going around on the internet saying that this is not actually praying hands, but it's actually someone doing a high five as Miss Hewitt explained that she discovered this stuff going around on the internet uh, revealing this. So she felt the need to apologize to all those people that maybe she had sent the praying hands to that were maybe suffering from COVID or sick or something. And maybe, oh, I maybe I accidentally sent them a high five instead. So we've got this mass apology. I don't, I don't get this. I, I thought those were praying hands. I've seen them. I'm not an emoji expert, but aren't those praying hands? No? Am I wrong? Um, I guess there's double ways to interpret it, but let's just listen into this apology real quick. Did not know. And so this is a public apology to all the people that I have sent what I thought were praying hands to, to say, I'm with you. I'm praying for you and your loved ones or your friends or your family or for all of us sending goodness and, you know, all of that. And I have actually been high-fiving you the whole time. I'm so sorry. Okay, well, I guess my question is, are we going to have to start, like, emoji sensitivity training or something? Well, according to the Reader's Digest, it could actually be both. It could be praying hands or a high five. Um, and yes, Candy, I'm citing the Reader's Digest. You brought me on here because you thought, you know, I'm, I'm a younger person, but I'm actually 96 at heart. Um, but I will say the good news is I found an alternative. I found um, these two emojis, a woman or a man, and they look like they're kneeling. So I'm going to say those are probably praying um, as opposed to just sitting in an uncomfortable position for no reason. Uh, Catherine, i got to say that that does not sound very inclusive. If you're making it a woman and a man, okay, that does not gel with today's culture. All right. So Catherine, everyone needs to know, Catherine is our resonant emoji interpreter expert. You know, when we do staff text, she's got all the fun emojis going on. <laughs> and she and knows all the jokes. All, yeah. <laughs> so give us some examples, Catherine, of where there's been emoji misinterpretations. Well, this one is not necessarily an emoji, but it reminds me of a story I saw on the Internet where a mom texted her daughter that a family member had died and ended the text with LOL. 
which is commonly known as laughing out loud, but the mom thought it was lots of love, and when the daughter informed her that she was laughing at the fact that a family member had died, she completely freaked out and had to text everyone back. Um, I mean, who knew there were different ways to interpret these things? It's, it's like having different languages. I, I saw one thing where you can have, um, like, the grinning face emoji, and it appears differently on different phones. Like, if you have a Google phone, it looks like a, more like a grimace, maybe, as opposed to on the Apple phone. I yep. forget which was which. Yeah. But so I could have been sending people, you know, grimaces instead of the happy faces that I thought I was yeah. seeing. And, and a lot of people I've seen will send the laughing so hard you're crying emoji but think that it's weeping and that's awkward i don't get yeah. i don't get any of this to be honest i i feel like we're going back to hieroglyphics i mean i'm gonna need someone to teach me how to read hieroglyphics in order to make sense of texting these days it, it does seem like we're kind of regressing as a society instead of using like cursive handwriting and literature we're now using little images well, whatever happened to just writing the words out complete sentences that died with text todd well I don't get it. We're destroying the English language because my kids will do that. They will start with a word and it was my brother to brother to bro. It's just now it's the B sound. It's like you can't even say the full word. Wait, wait what do you mean just the B sound? Well, they, it's just they when they talk, you know, it's, you know, they're slang back and forth. Yeah. You know, they're having fun. It just they'll just say, bro, bro. I'm like, you cannot say the whole word. I don't get it. All right. Well, to wrap up here, I think we got to give this week's inconceivable award to the cancel culture we live in and maybe the increasingly illiterate world that we live in, which now apparently makes it necessary to issue public apologies for emojis. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.